Hello listeners, and welcome back to Kenya. After discussing the nitty-gritty of what it takes to plan a trip to this wonderful country, today we will be visiting a giraffe center, an elephant orphanage, and a wild one-day safari. Start planning today and take that trip you've always wanted to. Every adventure gives you the opportunity to experience something new. Traveling will pay tenfold what you pay to actually do it. This is Inspire Beyond Borders, and we're here to help you see the world. Day two starts off, like you said, a couple times. Coffee's on the front porch of the treehouse, right? Just taking in the scenery, enjoying where you are. And then you head over to the Tin Roof Cafe. But let's really get into what you did next, and that's go into these shops, right, that you were talking about. So what was going on here? What kind of things were they selling? Was, was it anything specific to Kenya? Or, you know, just touristy stuff. I would call like the majority of it some of that tourist trap kind of stuff, right? There was even some like the novelty like uh, breath mints that we're talking about, you know, like you know different anatomical features and things like that, right? So, but then there was quite the collection of you know some of their art or just like handmade uh, sculptures from you know whatever they tend to find, right? They're really good at uh, recycling some of the things that are around, and I saw lots of art pieces made out of broken bottles and glass and things. So the different colors of glass really making, you know, different pictures and some stuff like that. But largely it was, you know, clothes and signs and little hand carved sculptures of, you know, animals and dishes and all that kind of stuff. So sort of touristy, sort of seemingly authentic, um, but there was definitely local shopping there as well. So obviously some of that stuff can't be uh, too, uh, too rinky dink. Were these, Handmade clothes right there or like in that local area or are we talking like I Heart Kenya shirts? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it actually was probably a fair spread of both, right? I saw lots of, you know, kind of novelty t-shirts and kind of some of that gimmicky stuff. But then, um, you know, definitely some of what you would expect from like some of the, you know, the, the African colors and just like the vibrancy of, you know, the diff- different textiles that they're using, you know, purples and reds and greens and all kinds of colors coming through in some more draped style clothing that I would expect or, you know, some some head hair wrap kind of things that I saw as well. And uh, I think it was a a pretty broad mix that was trying to serve, you know, two functions of, you know, tourism and kind of the local economy. Awesome. Did you bring us anything back that was authentic (laughs) Kenyan or were you just uh, more into the touristy type stuff? I guess the most authentic thing we got, we ended up getting a a little sculpture of a a giraffe that was kind of doing like a, uh, a namaste kind of, kind of um, sitting position. But, um, now, mostly we end up going with, you know, magnets or T-shirts and things like that that, you know, so say something stupid on them, like, like a Kuda Matata and stuff, right? So, uh, Lion King wasn't it? too far off. <laughs> it was really good. So, yeah, you get some of that cheese ball stuff, but, you know, it was still really funny to see, and it was pretty cool. All right, so the giraffe is actually a good transition, because the next thing you did was go to this giraffe center. So, before we get into what this giraffe center is, did you get the... Uh, namaste giraffe at these little shops or did you get it at this giraffe center it was actually at the giraffe center yeah okay perfect let's why don't you tell us about this giraffe center first off how'd you get there yeah so this one we decided we wanted to walk super far and kind of just wanted to see uh kind of the the sites and really kind of take in some of the culture and it's 
you know, there wasn't really a ton to see on the way other than, you know, some wildlife and you see some, some fields and farming and that kind of stuff. So that was great. But then it's kind of um, a lot of people might recognize the name from the TV show, but Giraffe Manor was right around the corner. Uh, so that was kind of neat, but that was crazy expensive to stay there. So we stayed away from that. The place itself, you kind of walk up to and there's your ticket lines and then there's kind of like this big multi-level building on the side here where it's got like a walkway kind of surrounding it and then you just see like a field and then, you know, three or four giraffes will come up and, you know, you see them towering over the people over there and you start getting all amped up and you can, you know, walk up, pay your, your ticket fee and then off to the giraffes you go and you can really stay there as long as you want. They're not really trying to kick you out. So there's like tour guides and stuff posted along the walkways and you can ask them questions and it's it's really pretty neat to see these things in, in person. It's unbelievable how big they are. So I've got a, a picture of one of these things leaning over my shoulder coming in to grab like a tree and its head like at the top of my head to like my knees. I'm you know, I'm almost six feet or whatever. So I mean that, that kind of gives you a pretty quick snapshot of how big its head just is. It's it's pretty cool. Wow. So you mentioned that you, you bought your tickets. Were they expensive? It was like fifteen bucks a person. It wasn't it wasn't extraordinary, but um, the place is doing a lot of service to uh, return animal wild and preserve some of these uh, giraffes and uh, rehabilitate them things. I'd like to think that it's a donation, and my good conscience and my hopeful heart is going to say that it was. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was pretty simple. My next question was, do you have a guide? But it sounds like, it sounds like you had little, like, stopping points throughout that they could help you out and guide you. Yeah, there was a couple couple people hanging around them down um, below before you got onto that elevated platform there, and they're you know telling you the giraffes' names and kind of telling you about where they came from and kind of the whole backstory. So that was pretty neat to just be able to kind of listen in and uh, ask them questions if you wanted. Did you have a favorite giraffe? Yeah, I think that the only male that was there was my favorite. He hung around the longest, and that's the one with the giant head that you know could crush you with a single blow or whatever. But um, <laughs> his name was Eddie. And I forget how old he was, but he was, he was a monster. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? Did they tell you exactly how tall Eddie was, or do you forget that information? So I forget exactly off the top of my head, but that elevated platform we were on was probably at least you know ten, twelve feet off the ground, kind of thing. And Eddie ducked his head to get underneath the covering for it. So I think their neck was upwards of you know twenty, twenty-five feet by the time he gets to the top of their head. So I mean, he's you know, it's a pretty sizable animal. <laughs> Wow. Okay. One of the things that you mentioned that you were able to do was kiss the giraffes. So what does a giraffe kiss look like? How messy does that get? <laughs> it gets pretty sloppy and, you know, Eddie was not shy at all. So basically the way that this runs down is you, uh, they hand out these little, you know, bite-sized treats for them or whatever. And it's, you know, molasses and all these sweet syrups or whatever. So of course they're just going to keep feeding on these things, but, um, you basically put it between your lips and Eddie will come on in and, you know, nibble it out of your lips, and sometimes if you're lucky enough, you'll get a whole bunch of tongue, and that gets real messy real quick. I don't want to get too inappropriate here, but are we sure that your wife's baby is yours? <laughs> I have at least a moderate level of confidence. <laughs> All right. So, um, did you notice that the giraffe center was especially busy at the time of day that you went? Did, do you know if there was a better time of day to go? So when we got there, it was relatively early in the morning, so it was pretty open. I think there was one larger group in front of us that I believe was a set of school kids or something like that on like a field trip. So that wasn't so bad. I, I want to say we were there by like 10 or 11, but then, you know, kind of by the time we started getting ready to leave a little after noon or one o'clock, something on that order, uh, it really started to fill in with more school trips and things. Our school season goes much longer, so I think um, 
definitely if you're going to go try to get there uh, a little bit more towards the morning. So was there, other than pet and feed and kiss the giraffes, I'm sure you could learn information about giraffes and, and how they're becoming endangered and extinct and, and everything. And was there anything else that you did at this center besides, you know, interact with the giraffes? Along the vein of you know, kind of learning about them, there was one little you know, kind of talk and tell kind of thing about, um, you know, some of the different specs on them and talking about kind of their, their numbers and their decline and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we sat in and listened to that for a little while, and that was kind of neat. And then uh, when we had kind of had enough of the, the draft center, it was getting kind of busy with a bunch of school tours and things, so it got pretty busy. So get there early is my recommendation for that. But then across the way is a, uh, they called it the Sanctuary Trail, which didn't really see necessarily advertised, I think, beforehand, but kind of on the way out, we noticed it, and we're kind of like, oh, well, that looks interesting. Let's give that a shot. Oh, well, what was this sanctuary trail? Yeah, so it didn't really list in, like a, a great deal about, you know, specs. I have no idea how long this thing was, but it was basically just kind of like a, a fenced-in continuation of, of protected woodlands that had kind of like a hiking trail through it. So you're going through and just kind of walking along and just there's different checkpoints that tell you about, you know, you're still on the path, so you're not lost. So that's great. And then, um, you know, some different waterfalls, but it was pretty dry. I think their winter tends to be the drier season. And then... Um, just kind of walking around looking to see what you run into. This was an unexpected thing that you came across on your trip. Would you say that it's something that somebody should pretty much put down in pen on their itinerary, like they need to do it when they go? I think if you're going to go to the giraffe center and don't have an immediate place to run off to, then it's definitely worth it. Uh, I mean, it's just another way to get out into the woods and maybe run across you know, an animal that's Certainly not going to kill you or anything, so that's great. But um, just an opportunity to really kind of immerse yourself more into the uh, the nature aspect of of being in Africa. Awesome. So, what other kinds of wildlife, if any, did you see when you were on the sanctuary trail portion of this? Yeah, so a lot more birds. We saw a lot more kind of butterflies and insects and things. And then there was this one, and I I forget the name of the thing now, um, but it was we basically called it a pig deer and. Lo and behold, Google is good enough for that to return a search, and it's this little critter that you know probably stands two feet tall and basically has the body of a pig but face kind of like a deer, but miniaturized. So that was pretty wild, but we couldn't really get a, a great picture of it because it, it startled pretty easy. So that was that was kind of a nice little surprise. Okay, pretty cool. So is that the warthogs you were referencing, or is that different? No, so good question. So um, I guess giraffes and warthogs tend to be actually buddies in, in nature, right? So I guess the the, giraffe, uh, the warthogs like to hang around the giraffes because if the giraffes are on the move, then the warthogs should probably leave as well. So they typically get found pretty close together. So they had, you know, a little family of warthogs that kind of lived in the in the uh, contained area with the giraffes. I was going to say, Disney probably would have had trouble drawing a giraffe and a warthog on the same screen. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been a hard frame to get, but I mean, I guess they probably could have pulled it off with some uh, some perspective or something. But yeah, um, Timon was definitely not the correct. Uh. Okay, great. So how did day two come to a close? Mostly what we ended up doing was trying to get back to the treehouse. So we were having a little tough time getting an Uber from the giraffe center, and it wasn't really clear to us why people just weren't coming down all the way to uh, where the giraffe center was. It was a little bit off the beaten path, so we ended up deciding to to walk it back, and when we pulled it up on maps, it looked like there was a road, but it was mostly kind of a a, a, a game trail, basically, for <laughs> where I saw a farmer taking a whole bunch of goats and things, so uh, not necessarily the most stable walk, but uh, you know, we, we 
exercise a little bit regularly and you know it wasn't really that intimidating for us so uh, we gave that a go and it was it was probably a three mile walk back but it was kind of nice just to kind of see some different areas too were you nervous at all walking back being that you're in a country probably just you and your wife walking back there'd be a few spots where you get to where you know you kind of hang on to your personal belongings a little bit tighter or whatever, but um, never anything that really felt like a threatening situation, but, you know, it's just kind of a, a be aware of your surroundings type, type deal. Day three begins. We see a theme here. You have to have coffee on the porch is what it seems like because you're just enjoying the sunrise, I'm sure. Something interesting happened on day three that you probably weren't expecting and I wasn't expecting to read on your itinerary. <laughs> But you got electrocuted reaching to open the gate to the facility. How did that happen? <laughs> so that's a good one. So it kind of started in my series of events I sent you. It was a little out of order, but that's beside the point, I guess. But um, we were getting ready to uh, make our way to our activities for the day. And then we started having issues with our, uh, our cell phone. The SIM card had locked out or something to that effect. So we were kind of stressing out trying to figure that out. So we had already left the treehouse and we're deciding right, let's go back because we have the, the SIM card information in our safe at our uh, treehouse so we can try to reprogram it or whatever we think we have to do. And then when you get to uh, the gate coming into uh, the treehouse area, there is a, a gate and usually there's an attendant that's right there and he comes and opens it up and locks it behind you and off you go. He must have been sleeping because we were trying to make some noises and you know get his attention to come on out and let us in. But uh to no avail. So uh, I took it upon myself to then reach through the fence and try to, to pop the little latch. And it's really just, you know, a four foot gate or whatever. And then you reach in and try to pull the little, uh, the slide that goes down to keep it in place. And lo and behold, that damn thing is actually electrocuted. So there's a nice little pop and a couple of, a couple of moments of burning hairs and things like that. And I was like, Oh, I guess I'm not doing that again, but the door did open. So uh, we were home. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, that had to be such a shock to you. <laughs> Jeff definitely wasn't really expecting that to happen. I mean, it was advertised, but it was one of those things is like, is it really? But yeah, it left like a, that's how I would best describe it as. If you've ever like snapped yourself with a rubber band, you kind of get that welt. That's kind of what it looked like. And it kind of had a nice little tingle in my arm for a good portion of the rest of the day. So day three. P.S. I see what you did there, Aaron. You left. so day three is kind of the rocky portion of the trip it looks like and this happens almost to everybody on any trip there's always a day that kind of gets a little sideways you get electrocuted you mentioned the sim card error how did you end up getting your sim card fixed because in a foreign country that is hard to get to and hard probably to reach anybody you start getting you start getting a little panic setting in so did you end up panicking a little bit and how did you overcome this oh yeah panic definitely starts to sit in you know we we had our whole plan like we said kind of from the get-go was you know let's have a sim card so that we can get an uber driver and have data while we're walking around and find the next thing to do right so it's you know we're we're on the brink of having you know the entire trip falling apart right so uh, we wanted to get back and Basically, I think what we ended up doing is uh, looking up kind of the information on once we got our Wi-Fi connected again, and then um, there was a, a PIN number that was located. So when you get your SIM card, you get like a bigger card, and then it's like a knockout piece that you get. Then you're off and running again. So it was kind of a 
just a quick reset for whatever reason. It must have been a network interrupt or something the phone didn't like. But uh, after putting the pin in, we were all set again. So that was good. Okay, so we get the bad things out of the way early. Let's get to the good stuff. The first day there, you see giraffes. Today, day three, you're ready to go to an elephant orphanage. How did you find this, and was it hard to get to? You think the, the pain is over, but it's not quite there yet, my friends. Um, <laughs> so we found this on you know, a TripAdvisor kind of website again, and said, oh, this is kind of neat. Um, one thing that they was kind of mentioned on there is there's a really limited window when they let you kind of interact with the elephants. Uh, I'm not really sure if it's overstimulating for them or what the requirements are, or if it's just kind of a, a staffing thing. But there's basically, you know, a two-hour window. I think it's like 10 to 12 or something like that. I forget off the top of my head. But um, a really specific window of what time you're supposed to get there. So, you know, it's a 20-minute drive away or whatever. So we start calling for an Uber at like 10.30. You're like, oh, we're going to have plenty of time, plenty of time. Or, I'm sorry, 9.30. Um, we start trying to call an Uber. We got one, great. Cancels. We're like, huh, that's kind of weird. So we called again. Cancels. We're like, what is happening? So long story short there, we um, actually never ended up getting an Uber to get to this place. And we couldn't quite figure out why. But eventually we kind of figured it out that there was a taxi strike going on in Kenya that we were not immediately informed of. And uh, the taxi drivers that were striking were kind of riding against the Uber drivers, throwing stones and stuff at them. So one of the drivers told us through the chat, you know, they're stoning our cars. I'm not driving over there. We're like, so, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, uh, another bump in the road. So kind of had to detour off that plan as well. <laughs> So it doesn't get any better. I I lied to our listeners. <laughs> so something so important, planning to go to an elephant orphanage and having it become not possible at this moment in your trip because of what's going on with Uber, how do you kind of roll with the punches and it kind of drags you down a bit, but how do you get those spirits back up to go out and realize, okay, we should just do something else and maybe we can do it later? Yeah, so it's really kind of, you know, back to college days is a boot and rally, right? So you just really got to, like, figure it out and then say, you know what? We had other things that we were planning on. What happens if we juggle some of these things around, right? So just kind of looking through our itinerary and seeing what day was um, most easily changed and, you know, found some things to do. Namely, that thing was there's a, a museum nearby. It was called the Karen Blixen Museum, and she was kind of a, a notable person of interest, I guess, within Kenya and visited frequently and was kind of well well renowned by uh, some of the locals so we decided we were gonna check that out today uh, on day three instead of going to the elephants and the elephants would just have to wait until uh, uh another day so karen blixen is a famous danish author who as you mentioned spent some of her time in kenya how important is she there and what was her significance to the area i think she was just kind of the uh just that kind-hearted soul that kind of kept coming back, right? Fell in love with the area. Eventually, they named the town we stayed in after her, right? It's Karen, Kenya. Um, so that's kind of a nice uh, tribute to her. But I think a lot of it was just kind of the contributions to the area. And that she had this, uh, this, this coffee farm that she ran. So she employed many uh, of the locals. So it was really just kind of a, uh, a person that fell in love with the area that kept giving back. So she was uh, very well respected by uh, the folks that we talked to. And was this something that would have seen anyway, or is this something that 
you decided to put into your trip just because you couldn't get to the elephant orphanage? Yeah, this was mostly a, uh, an audible call, right? So we had put it on the, uh, this could be an interesting thing to do. Let's see it if we have some time. And fortunately, I guess we had some time. So we uh, slotted that in instead as kind of a, uh, a backup plan. And on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 saying you, have, you should do it, would you tell someone that they should go to this? Or did you feel that if, if you had not missed the Elephant Orphanage and didn't have to go to this, you could have done without it? In terms of like an entertainment factor, I mean, it's a guided tour through this woman's house and learning a little bit about the farm and kind of some of her history. So as a person who's generally interested in history, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I don't think I would call it a must-see for everybody, but it's certainly something that you're not going to regret going to see if you have the time to, uh, to spend on it. So scale of 1 to 10, I, I guess I would land it at like a 6, 7, something on that range. Okay, so day... Three was saved, which is nice. And how does day three end? Is it another walk back home, another three-mile walk back home? Or were you able to get an Uber at this time and then just relax back at the treehouse? Yeah, this was a uh, let's head back to the treehouse via Uber. So that was kind of nice. And then just kind of had a, a simple dinner at home. We bought some rice at one of the shops or whatever and just boiled a pot of rice and had some some toast <laughs> but pretty simple when it comes to some of our meals in this portion of the podcast we will head out on a safari and our guest roger will tell us all about the amazing lake nakuru the unmistakable pink mass from the local flamingos and a small boat tour to see hippos so day four you have a safari planned how far away is the safari from where you guys are staying yeah, so this was, uh, the safari itself was called like an all-day trip to Lake uh, Nakuru, and I forget the name of the national park that we went to, but it was about a three-and-a-half drive, I want to say, each way, so it was a little bit of a shock, so it was a, a early morning, I think the ride picked us up at five o'clock or something at our treehouse, and on the road we were, we were uh, headed for our safari. Was it a... Uh, scenic route was it a pleasant like surroundings that you're seeing or was it you know kind of boring and, and just kind of grass everywhere so both i'd say again um you know you go through some areas where it's kind of more urban or suburban i guess uh where you know you're going by some gas stations and some people that are on their way to work and that kind of stuff and then you kind of get out into aspect of it a little bit and then at one point you're kind of driving along this cliff and things so i mean there's there's certainly plenty to see and you end up seeing some wild zebras just kind of running around and stuff so it was really still kind of a a, a neat experience uh even just on the drive well uh, what kind of car did they pick you up in so i don't recall the exact model or anything like that but it was like a, an isuzu van suv kind of style thing right so when you think of some of the safaris it's kind of that that bubblish looking uh, van and they change the uh the roof of the thing so that it can pop up so that you can stand up while you're sitting in the car or standing i guess through the car so you get a better view on your uh, driving around so nothing nothing crazy but you definitely need four wheel on a lot of these things was this a situation where the car was like packed and it was kind of uncomfortable to sit or did you have some space in the car now this one was just for us. I think I think we booked it to be a, a private tour, so I think you can book it for you know up to six people. I think that thing could fit, but it was just the two of us, so we had plenty of room. Wow! So what did that cost? 
Uh, it ended up being like 150 bucks each, so not not crazy money, but certainly not a, a cheap excursion. But I mean, you're you're there to go on safari, so that was a, a must do. Right. So, you know, that's 300. dollars Would it have been 50 dollars a person if it was six people, or was would it have been 150 per person no matter what? Yeah, I, I don't remember seeing the exact details for that. I expect that they would probably would have charged the same for each person. Uh, I don't think that they would have given you a break on that, but I don't I don't know that for for certain. Okay. You get in the car five o'clock in the morning. That means you get to your destination around eight thirty, nine o'clock when you said it was a three and a half, four hour ride. What's the first thing that you get to see that's like really part of this safari? That's the first thing that I would say is actually part of the safari is we take a pit stop kind of at some shops and things, which is you know, kind of a tourist trap, right? They're trying to get you uh, to buy some stuff, and I'm sure they have agreements that they stop there, and you can use their restrooms if you bring the tourists through all the all the shops. But um, it was a uh, an overlook over this uh, the Great Rift Valley was the name of it, and you know, it's basically you know it's a formation that's you know millions of years old from glacial movements and all that kind of stuff. But it was really just this great panorama. You're up on this cliff and kind of overlooking the whole valley, and it was really just kind of a, a pretty place to be it wasn't necessarily anything in terms of you can see xyz it was just here's a great view and this is kind of a you know getting into the the country where uh, some of the uh, safaris really venture off to awesome so that ancient geological glaciers moving and stuff that must have been been what formed this lake nakuru and that's one of the major destination points of this trip correct yes you end up driving past Lake Nakuru uh, on the way to uh, where you go on the initial part of the safari. Um, and anytime you look Lake Nakuru up, you know, the first thing you see is, you know, these huge flocks of flamingos. And there's, you know, thousands of flamingos that are, are supposedly there, but they've actually been uh, shifting around quite a bit. So there's not quite as many there anymore. And a lot of that seems to be attributable to some of the deforestation, right? So you don't think about it, but you know, they're pulling trees out of all these woods and off these mountains and things and all this water that comes running off when they get the rainy season makes its way into the lake instead of being fed to the trees, right? Or to the plant life or whatever's on the way down. Um, so what ends up happening is the lake uh, pH levels get all out of whack and apparently the flimmin, I guess more, more importantly, their food sources really sensitive to that. So they have since moved to other lakes where it hasn't quite been as uh, impacted, but um, we still got to see uh, quite a few of them. So that was pretty neat. Who invited Bill Nye? My <laughs> <laughs> um, bad. No, I'm kidding. I no, keep trying. So other than the flamingos, what other kind of wildlife did you see in the lake? Because when you Google it, there's all kinds of wildlife there. Is that just, you know, photographers being in the right place at the right time kind of thing? Or do you actually get to see a diverse set of wildlife? No, you definitely get to see quite a variety. There was, you know, all kinds of birds that were basically like Herman Munster-sized creatures that were just these big lurching things. So that was pretty cool. And then you see you know, kind of wildebeest are all running around in, in some of the hills. And um, we went out on like a, a little boat tour and uh, got to see some hippos kind of uh, while we were doing that. So that was pretty neat. So definitely a, a, a pretty plentiful uh, trip there. I know you mentioned this earlier, but you said at the shops, you kind of get swarmed by school kids on a field trip. Are these kids that are trying to sell you things? Were they asking you for money or anything? And how did you kind of handle that situation? Yeah, so we were getting uh, wrapped up at the shops and getting ready to head out. And then um, some, some buses with school kids came over and 
totally uh, rock starred my wife and looked like they were getting ready to uh, to crowd out and take them take her away. But uh, they were really just excited to see. Honestly, I think just some Americans and some Caucasian people, right? So they wanted to ask her all kinds of questions and touch her hair to feel like the difference in textures and things. Just wanted to take pictures. It was, it was just really funny. But yeah, it got a little overwhelming at one. You know, we eventually just kind of had to cut them off, and the teacher was kind of understanding and stuff and pulled all the kids away. But you know, they just kept waving and. It was really kind of funny just to see kind of their reaction. Nice. All right. So you're on this day-long excursion. Do they provide food for you, or did you have to bring food with you? What did you do for food? After the uh, lake stop, there was like a little uh, restaurant on on site to where uh, you catch the boat tour or whatever in there. Um, You can buy some beers and some different uh, meals that are available. It's a pretty simplistic menu, you know, four or five items or whatever. And I forget to be honest, what my wife ended up getting, but I know I ended up getting some sort of a dish and then the name of their beer that was kind of the popular beer brand. So I tried Tusker. one of their Tusker lagers or something. So um, that was pretty good. I see some roasted corn on the roadside. Was that part of your lunch or was that just like a snack at some point? So actually that was just like an observation. So while we were driving, we saw all kinds of people that were you know selling stuff along the side of the road, You know whether it be you know bottles of water, we saw and uh, corn was kind of this interesting one where there would just kind of be this fire by the side of the road going and people would be walking around with you know handfuls of corn trying to sell it to uh, people that were stuck in traffic as they were going by so it seems like that's you know partly their uh their income and their kind of normal routine is trying to get some of these uh some people passing by to get some some corn was the traffic particularly bad or it seemed like this road was kind of the one way in, one way out to kind of the areas and towns that we were trying to get to. So it was a, a little bit uh, well-traveled. And then it's kind of up this you know, winding road uh, along the mountainside or whatever. And then this is kind of where some of the crazy driving came in, where people just kind of pass over a blind rise and stuff. And you, you get a little nervous there. Um, but then there was actually a, uh, a tractor-trailer truck that had kind of crashed into the side of the hill <laughs> so it was blocking up one lane of traffic oh. for a little while so it kind of plugged things up but i wouldn't say it's you know it's not la traffic on the five or anything like that but it's certainly not something that you want to be sitting in the hot, the hot sun for too long for okay so so you passed lake elementatia what was that like so that's where we ended up seeing quite a few uh, more of those flocks of flamingos um and you basically come over this hill and kind of off in the distance we were I mean, we were probably a good four miles away by as the crow flies as they like to so um you see these little pockets where you can just kind of make out some some pink blobs right and you just know that that's what that's what's there so that was neat to see and kind of gave you that perspective of how many flamingos there typically would be but uh, again you know just really sad that it wasn't kind of where that you would expect them to be and kind of took away from the experience a little bit you know you're kind of half expecting to go on the boat kind of have to push all these flamingos out of the way as you're kind of making your way through the lake or whatever but um yeah, it was, still, it was still neat to see them. Would you say they are as grit pink as pictures always say they are, or not so much? I definitely think so. I mean, you could spot these things from, like I said, miles away. So it was, they were they were pretty bright, and some of that might have been, you know, just because of you know numbers versus uh, their actual color. But certainly, from what we could tell, they were they were pretty bright creatures. Okay, so you go to a state park conservation area, and I would imagine that Africa is one of the better places to really see some of the, the ways that humans have damaged the environment with global warming and deforestation and those kinds of things. Is that accurate to say? 
Oh, definitely. So you're in this park and um, some of the things that you end up learning, you know, the driver's telling you some things while you're going around and then you get down to kind of there's uh, kind of a lake in the middle of this park or whatever and you start getting down there and you can see probably a couple hundred yards of trees that have just died because the water levels are coming up. So part of that's uh, in reference to some of that deforestation that I was talking about. You get more runoff coming off the hills and things like that. So just shifts in the climate, shifts in the environment, and then you know, you're really seeing some of those effects on that park. And I guess the uh, we ended up seeing later on in the trip, the original entrance to the park was actually underwater for the most part. So uh, you've got this, think of like a toll booth structure, right? And if people remember what those look like these days, and you know, we've got all those damn easy pass things. But um, <laughs> basically the water levels, you know, two or three feet up the wall of a, a toll booth that was the original way to get into the park. So it's it's not just we're not talking a, you know an inch or two here and there it's we're the matter of feet where we're, we're going to be losing a lot of that shoreline and uh, really impacting that that ecosystem yeah that's very uh disappointing to hear but i'm glad that that people are getting a chance to hear it from uh, somebody who saw it firsthand so one of the things you've mentioned a couple times is this boat trip that you took and I'm curious, what kind of boat are you on? Are you on a motorboat? Are you on something a little less modern? So I'm trying to think of a good uh, reference point. I don't know if you guys movies like I typically do, but basically the, the boat in Rambo, and not not any of the good ones, the the last one where he's like a meathead, totally stupid. But, you know, it's got that long outboard mode. It's just like a long canoe. So like this like 10-foot canoe thing and just like this large output shaft that's going to the prop that's in the water or whatever. So that's that's kind of the thing that's, you know, probably you know, 10 feet by, you know, a couple feet wide, two and a half feet wide, something like that. So uh, long and skinny type canoe that's, you know, you know motorized. You're not really flying around the way, just trying to take in the site. So it was pretty enjoyable. Was this boat tour included in the price of the safari or is it something you had to pay extra for? No. So the safari just like takes you to where all these boats are and then, you know, they, they dangle the carrot in front of you and then you pay into it or whatever. So I don't remember how much it was, but it wasn't anything that was, you know, astronomical. So we obviously had to try, right? We wanted to see the, the hippos and things around the lake. So that was that was a pretty cool experience and definitely well worth it. Do you know what would have happened if you did not agree to go on that portion of the trip? Like, would they have just continued driving on someplace else or was it like go back home kind of thing? I guess that wasn't really clear. Uh, it seemed like it was definitely, hey, here's your lunch, eat now if you want. And then and it seemed like it was just kind of like a designated, we're going to stop here for some time. So I'm not sure if we just would have kind of hung around and walked around the grounds. There was some some areas where you could kind of walk and kind of look at some of the, the critters from the shore or whatever. But um, I think it would kind of would have just been more of a, a hangout until you know the day was over. Okay, and I say this quite literally. One of the big things that you saw on the boat tour was hippos. How oh, close yeah. did you get? Because hippos are, are pretty dangerous. So how close did you get to these things? Yeah, that was uh, a little bit, I guess, concerning, right? You've got your life vest, so you, you feel pretty good about yourself. But um, <laughs> uh, you're on this boat, and I guess the closest one we got to was probably you know, 20, 25 feet, something on that order. So you're not not getting super close, but close enough where if, you know, they, things get a little, little dicey, it, it could get kind of sketch, I guess. But um, at no point did it seem like the, the hippos were threatened or felt uh, like they were going to turn on you or anything. Of course, you know, everybody says that, you know, it's always the quiet ones, right? But um, <laughs> I never really felt like we were in any danger. Were they easy to spot? And, and what were some of the pointers that they gave out to helping you spot these creatures? 
Um, they actually ended up being pretty easy to spot. Um, their ears and kind of whole head structure, I guess, kind of sticking above the water so they can kind of see and then obviously breathe. So you kind of see them, and it kind of reminded me of uh, going looking for, like, alligators or something, right? You always see them kind of looking like floating logs. So they would kind of bob their heads up and dive back down, and then you kind of know roughly where they are and just kind of keep an eye out for them. So the tour guide on the boat, was it the same as the tour guide in the car? No, the tour guide in the car just kind of drops you off and chills and talks to all the other uh, tour guides. So it's obviously a pretty popular spot, but the, uh, the tour guide on the boat is one of, like, the, the local operators out of the uh, – the little establishment that you're at. Okay, so you were telling us a little bit about what the other tour guide was talking about. Was this tour guide talking about anything in particular? No, really. His his whole thing was kind of just buzzing around the lake and pointing at things and telling you what they were. So that was kind of neat. Um, one of the tour guides actually spotted a uh, a fisher eagle, is what they were called, and actually had uh, I don't know how legal this was or ethical and all that kind of fun stuff, but he had like a, a dead fish on him or whatever. So he threw the fish out into the water and the, the eagle came down and swooped up and picked it up. So that was, that was pretty cool. And I think they, they mentioned that that was generally frowned upon, but it's something that I, I don't think they really care about and just do it. Right. So the, uh, so the tourists get their kind of money's worth. So that was really neat to see. So it's really just to kind of point you in the right direction and let you know what you're looking at. I'm sorry. The tour guide had a dead fish on him. Just, for the heck of it? I presume it came out of a cooler, but I, I don't know that for certain, no. <laughs> okay. So what was your favorite part about this single-day safari? Man, I would say um, I think seeing the hippos is probably the, kind of the highlight, right? So you, you you hear about these things, and you see them in zoos and on videos and stuff like that, but you know, really just kind of seeing them pop their heads out of the water was pretty cool. Anything else significant happened on this day? Or, I mean, that pretty much took up your whole day, right? So what time did you get back to the treehouse? I want to say we probably didn't get back until probably 9 o'clock at night or so. So it ended up being, you know, what's that, a 16-hour day or something with this guy. So it was a pretty long day, and you're, you're pretty torched by the end. In this segment, Roger talks about the ongoing corruption in Kenya and some of the insight he received from local Kenyans regarding their politicians. We also finish out the episode with a wonderful trip to the David Sheldrick Elephant Orphanage. One of the things you told us about is there's a lot of corruption in Kenya, and that's one of the things that you learned a little bit about. So can you tell us a little bit about that corruption? Yeah, so just kind of in passing as we're you know going through back to town and back towards our treehouse or whatever you're going through some of these areas and then the tour guys just kind of making some small talk and then you see some billboards and things and some of it's about you know the politicians and who's running and stuff like that and then point to it and kind of give you a backstory and basically it turns out that you know a lot of kind of economic situation in kenya is a lot of the money just kicks back right to the government and then kind of just falls in the pockets of uh, you know kind of your leaders right so whether it's you know kind of local governor or kind of stuff like that but you know it's they were saying anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of tax dollars basically go into uh, your your officials' pockets, right? Instead of going towards anything useful, um, so that's pretty discouraging to hear. And you know, they're talking about you know anything from you know import taxes on cars and you know sales tax, uh, income tax, and, you know the whole nine. So it, it's all just kind of this corrupt system. And it's it's seemingly that there's some um, advocates that are out there trying to change it, right? Some, some new people are running and all those kinds of things, but um, it seems like it's a, a dicey situation for sure. Were you able to tell 
if the corruption affected you guys at all or or tourists in general or is it more of just affecting people who live in kenya from what i could tell it was just people in kenya uh, i didn't notice anything on, on our trip that was particularly sketchy or seemed like we were being watched or anything like that so it's it's really just kind of around some the the locals was sales tax like a thing and was it a particularly exorbitant or anything like that no it wasn't outrageous i think it's just the ratio that goes to the government officials is way offset from what it's supposed to be going towards right so it's it's more for uh, kind of that that vicious cycle of corruption just you know feeding money up to the top versus uh, to um, bringing it back to the communities for rehab projects or you know stuff around town that it should be going towards day five brings some justice you finally get to go to the elephant orphanage how excited were you to finally realize like okay here i go i'm going to see elephants maybe not its natural habitat but in its origin rather than maybe a zoo here in the united states yeah this was definitely kind of one of those things that you really get all geared up for and uh, after all the pain and misery of the first one i mean it wasn't over until we landed that uber ride to get there so up until that point we were getting a little nervous but then you know we finally got one we got up a little extra early to make sure we had time for things to go wrong and i got there um and basically the way that it kind of works out is you stand in a queue at the front gate until they open it up for you know the ticket sales or whatever um so you're kind of waiting around and <laughs> my wife was getting a little feisty being you know everybody was walking out like oh what time does it open and she's like they better not get in front of us we were here first we were here first so that was pretty funny <laughs> um, i was like calm down it's gonna be fine so as soon as the gate drops you know we rush in and make sure we have our tickets and you know get our primo spot right at the front of the ropes kind of around the area that the elephants come in at so once we were kind of there and got through that little hurdle, uh, everything was, uh, it was all fun from there. Is this a place that you can get tickets to before you get there, or is it just you show up and you get tickets? Uh, you show up and get tickets. Uh, they kind of limit how many people go in there, and like I said before, it's, it's a limited time frame, so it's a pretty, pretty high-demand uh, item and uh, pretty limited uh, uh, space availability. And can you tell us a little bit about what the orphanage does for these animals that they're saving? Yeah, so they basically take in tips from like rangers and like all kinds of things around uh, Kenya and basically find abandoned elephant babies, right? So whether it's from poaching or if a, a mother dies from, you know, natural causes or if they find one that's stuck in a mud pit or something, they'll send some folks out, uh, go check it out. Um, give it the medical treatment it needs, uh, help it get to kind of a healthy adult kind of age, and then uh, release it back into the wild and kind of keep an eye on it for, I think they said about a year once they release it and uh, make sure that everything's going well and that it's being acclimated to its group that it has decided to kind of kind of, kind of become a part of, right? Whole impacts and kind of like a family unit. So um, they really make sure that the elephants are well taken care of by the time they leave. And... Are you allowed to adopt an elephant? Is this something you can do? Yeah, they um, they call it adoption. It's really just you know a donation to the facility, and I guess they buy different levels, of course, with kind of any of these types of uh, organizations. But you commit to, I think we did like 25 bucks a month or something. So you end up getting selected an elephant that you have adopted, and they'll send you uh, updated pictures and things of you know, of your elephant while it's you know going through its 
stages of life and making sure that it's getting all the treatment it needs and stuff. And our elephant ended up being Maisha was her name. And they all kind of named them based on where they find them or I guess what condition they were in is some of the, some of the names for some of them. Yeah. So they kind of hit you with that on the way out and kind of give you that option. Or if you do it in advance, Ooh, that's a detail that you should know. Um, you can buy tickets in advance. And now that I'm remembering this about the adoption, right, is you, if you adopt an elephant before you get there, you get a ticket before you're actually at the gate. So included with your adoption is the ticket fee. What are some things that you can do at the elephant orphanage? Is it similar to what you experienced at the giraffe center? Yeah, so um, you're standing around kind of this roped off area, which is where the elephants come in and kind of kind of play at, right? So you're you're listening to a gentleman give you kind of some details about the uh, orphanage itself, some of the kind of the history of it, and then all of a sudden, you know, six little baby elephants come running in and start playing and eating stuff. So that was pretty cool. There's like a visitor center, so some snacks and refreshments, whatever. Um, and then there's some little uh, craft tables and things on the way out that you can buy you know, magnets or more carvings or kind of just random trinkets. And we ended up picking up actually a, a little elephant hand puppet for our expectant daughter coming up here in the next few weeks. So uh, she got something from Kenya, uh, so that was kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, it's very similar kind of feel to what you get at the, uh, the giraffe center as well. Is it possible to adopt one of these elephants without going to the orphanage so if someone listening to this is interested in helping these elephants out can they go to a website and check this out yeah and if somebody is interested in doing that i think you would just kind of find their website and you should be able to do that i don't think that would be any kind of a concern and the name of the orphanage is the uh, the david sheldrick elephant orphanage i'm sure you could look it up or just look up elephant orphanage canyon probably shows up pretty uh pretty readily so um yeah i assume that that's something that if uh somebody was so inclined to do they could certainly do that and how are the updates of maisha how is how is she doing you know, I haven't asked my wife in a little while. She was the one that kind of signed up for it, and we all went through her email. So I haven't seen any of those in a little bit. But I remember I asked her a few months back, and she was like, oh, yeah, I still get them. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I assume little Mike is just doing just fine. <laughs> so you, you complete your trip to the Elfin Orphanage. It's a success, finally. Now you have to worry about getting home. We know the Ubers are an issue. It was an issue trying to get it from the draft center. How did you end up getting home from the elephant orphanage? Uh, another one of those, you know, roller coasters of emotion where, you know, you're leaving this thing, you did this nice thing by, you know, donating to the center and you're feeling good about, you know, having this experience and then trying to find this ride and Uber after Uber declines and cancels and you can't get a ride and it's like, what is going on? So we ended up walking down the driveway of this place and it's kind of set back from the main road, which you kind of expect, right? So it was, I don't know, half a mile walk down this driveway to get to kind of the main road and then kind of started walking back towards our treehouse in hopes that we get kind of out of the, uh, the war zone from the, the strikes. Right. And then we finally get an Uber driver to agree. And the only way we could get him to agree is if he started the trip like half a mile before he came and picked us up. So it was kind of like, you, know, you give me a little extra money and I'll, I'll pick you up. So I was like, you know what? We've been fighting this too long. Just do it. So that was a little bit uh, slimy, but in, in the circumstances, we're kind of like, you know, we just got to get out of here. For people who are traveling, it's always good to check the news beforehand of where you're traveling to, because something like this can pop up anywhere, even in 
countries that are well established. We we just experienced riot in France. So this happens all over the world. So just something to be aware of as you're traveling. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. Next week, we finish our trip to Kenya on a three-day safari to see the Big Five of Africa. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inspire Beyond Borders. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IBBpod for updates and pictures from our guests. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our podcast.